Heavenly Father, the statutes that you have laid down are righteous and they are fully trustworthy. We ask that you would help us by your spirit this morning to trust them and to obey them. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we continue our series in the book of Colossians, and the book of Colossians is one that was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in Colossae, a church that the Apostle Paul hadn't planted, but a friend of his had, Epaphras, and he was concerned about what was going on in the church in Colossae, that a heresy had crept into the church and was pulling people away from the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ as God himself. And so he's been in the beginning chapters of the book, he's been extolling the Lord Jesus Christ and how people should trust in him as the only way of salvation. And then once he has been very clear about the way of salvation through Jesus Christ alone at the cross, he has then been giving instructions to the church in Colossae as to how they are to live. Not to be saved, but because they are saved. The debt has been wiped away at the cross, and so now they are to live lives of righteousness. And we've seen some general commands that he gives to all the church in Colossae, And now we've started in this section with specific commands to specific groups within the church. And we recognise that we're not all the same, we're all the same in some respects, but then there are differences between us and that gives glory to God, uh, that he even has different roles for us to have in this life. And so last week we looked at wives and husbands in verse 18 and 19 of Colossians chapter 3. And this week we look at verses 20 and 21. And the groups within the church are children... And fathers, or parents are mentioned, uh, some mothers are mentioned in verse 20 as well, along with children. And that's part of the reason why I thought it'd be good to have all the children in church today uh, in the main building and be able to look you all in the eye as I speak. And so uh, I'm very uh, thankful that people are willing to sit in other places during the pandemic, uh, that you're able to sit in halls and just see a video. Uh, But generally speaking, we do have the children outside the main building uh, so that they can, if they make a bit of noise, they don't disturb others so much. Uh, And so I've been very thankful, children, that you've been willing to sit in other parts and just watch a video for the last uh, couple months, really it is. But I I thought it'd be lovely to have you here in the main building today. And that really follows the example that is given here in the Bible as well, that children were expected to be there as the letter from the Apostle Paul was read. If we send children out to another room and they have a different lesson that's going on and we're not interested in them being part of the church, then aren't we going against what is taught here in Scripture? That there was this expectation as the Apostle Paul's letter would come in and the people would gather in Colossae and hear what the Apostle had to say, that children were present to hear what the Apostle Paul said. And so that's why here he's spoken to the wives, he's spoken to the husbands, and now he speaks to the children. The Apostle Paul expected children to be in the gathered people of God, that they are part of the family of God and so should be present when the family gathers to honour God in prayer, in praise with uh, the songs that they sing and, of course, as the Bible is read and taught. And so that's why we at Des Moines Baptist, we love having you to be a part of us as we come before God and you can see your parents worshipping, you can see other adults worshipping and that you're expected to worship God as well. So this morning, what is the specific commands that are given to you as children? What are you commanded? Well, if you look with me at verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents. Obey your parents. The Apostle Paul, and this is God, of course, speaking through the Apostle Paul, he has a command for you, and that is to obey your parents. Who are your parents? It's both mum and dad. The word there in Greek is specifically used for both parents, and so that's who you're expected to obey. Why should you obey your parents? 
Well, we're told in verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. The Lord is pleased when you obey him. And we see this isn't just here in our book in Colossae, uh, the book of Colossians uh, that was written to the people of Colossae. It is throughout scripture that the Lord is interested in children obeying their parents. And we saw that in the passage that we had read for us before in Proverbs chapter 3, where there's this uh, father addressing his son and how he should live. He's giving him instructions as to how to live. And in the Ten Commandments, what's the fifth commandment? Honour your parents. You're expected to honour your parents. The Lord is always interested in children obeying their parents. It pleases him. What commands are you supposed to obey from your parents? Well, what does it say in the text? Verse 20, children obey your parents in everything, all their commands. You're expected to obey them for. And uh, that doesn't mean that there will be times where you are going to recognise that some of their commands are not correct. Of course, under God, your parents give you commands. And of course, God gives commands that your parents may sometimes contradict. And you should be willing to go against your parents if they give such commands. That doesn't happen very often, hopefully. But if your parents forbid you to read your Bible, well, what do you do? You keep on reading your Bible. If your parents say, oh, just put these batteries in the supermarket up in your, uh, up your shirt and we'll walk out the doors without paying for them, what do you say? No, Dad, I'm not going to do that. God says do not steal, and so I'm not going to obey you in this. And as you get older, there should be increasing freedoms given to you. As a teenager, there should be more uh, freedom given to you and less commands given as you get older. And as an adult we have to recognise that you are still expected to honour and obey your parents even as an adult. Uh, so realistically, I'm speaking to everyone here as I speak about children obeying your parents, those of you who still have parents who are alive. It is not as though there is a point where you stop being a child while your parents are alive, and once you're an adult, once you're 18, you have no responsibility to your parents any longer. No, you're still expected to be obedient to your parents. Uh, now, of course, parents can be unreasonable as you get older and put expectations upon you that are not appropriate to be giving to adults. The obvious one is do not marry that girl or do not marry that boy. Um, those situations are very difficult and that's where I would encourage you to seek godly counsel in such instances. But generally speaking, children, you, those of us here today who have parents who are still alive, we are expected to obey them in everything, to continue to show them respect. Who else is given instructions today? That is, verse 21, we read, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. It is not as though children are commanded in isolation. No, there's a command there also to to fathers that is given in the text as well. Just as we saw last week, it wasn't that wives were spoken to and then husbands were off scot-free, they had no command. No, husbands were commanded to love their wives as, just as the wives are expected to submit to their husband's love. And so this morning we see that children are expected to obey their parents in everything, but there's also a responsibility on parents. And what is the responsibility of parents? Well, it's to not embitter their children. What does it mean to embitter your child? It means to provoke or exasperate your child by the commands that you give that child. And why should you not want to embitter your child? Well, it's given to us in the text. Or they will become discouraged. 
What does it mean that they'll become discouraged? Well, they won't want to obey you. If you embitter your child, if you provoke your child, if you exasperate your child, then they become discouraged from being obedient to you. Now, some of you may be asking the question, is this just fathers that is being spoken of here? What about the mothers in the room? Do they not have to worry about embittering their children? They can provoke and exasperate their children as much as they like. Well, no, I think the understanding here is, is that mothers have to obey this command as well. But there's a particular responsibility given to fathers in the home about this matter. Because interestingly, in verse 20, the word parents there is the Greek word for parents. And the Apostle Paul could have easily said in verse 21, parents. But instead he chose the word, the Greek word, that is used exclusively for fathers. And we recognise from the teaching of scriptures that fathers are the head of the home. The fathers have the ultimate responsibility to make sure that the children are being obedient and that the home is functioning properly. And I think also one of the reasons why this verse is given particularly to fathers, not just to fathers, women can, uh, mothers can learn from this as well, to fathers is because they have a particular tendency to be forceful and often harsh and not so gentle as mothers. Not always, but there tends to be in the male uh, makeup this tendency to be more forceful and more likely to provoke and to exasperate and to embitter children by the way that they uh, speak to them and the commands that they give. And so I thought it'd be helpful for us as we try and unpack this command together that is given to fathers and also to mothers to understand what are some of the ways that we can embitter our children and so that they're discouraged to obey. Well, firstly, it's by what we ask our children to do. Firstly, by what we ask our children to do, and particularly if we ask too little of our children. If our standards are too low, they can often become discouraged to do what we command. If we are continuously continuously saying to our children, you can't do it, I'll do it for you, you can't be trusted to do anything, then it discourages them. It embitters them towards us. How will the child be discouraged? Well, they can come up with these lines of, why bother trying to obey dad? He will always just take over. And so we can embitter our child by by asking too little of our children. But conversely, we can ask too much of our children and embitter them as well. If our standards are too high, our children can become discouraged. When they're too young, physically or mentally, to do what we ask of them, it can be very discouraging to them. If we tell a a toddler to drink properly out of a glass, when realistically they should still be on a sippy cup, then it's our responsibility to make sure they have the sippy cup and are not using a glass. We're asking too much of them and therefore embittering them. When they spill it everywhere, we get angry and it really was beyond them to do it. And so the child is discouraged and says, why bother? I can't do it. No matter what I do, it's always wrong. And this comes up as well if we're inconsistent in what we ask of the child. If they're never quite sure what we want. One day we want this, the next day it's the wrong thing to do. And so the child is embittered towards us and says, why bother, no matter what I do, it's always wrong. So firstly, we can, we can discourage our children from being obedient by asking too little of them. Secondly, by asking too much of them. Also, we can embitter our children by the way that we reward them. And this comes in both camps of too little reward and too much reward as well. Too little reward 
means that we never give a word of praise, we never give a treat to our children, and it discourages them from being obedient. They become embittered towards us. If there's no fun time with dad when the child is good, just entertaining but also teaching and encouraging the children, just spending some good quality time with the child, if that never happens, how will the child become discouraged? How do they become embittered and then discouraged to obey? obey? Well, they, you can see them saying, if they never really spend time with dad, good quality time with dad, they never get a reward from dad, they say, why bother obeying? I don't know my father. I don't really know this man. He never is interested in rewarding me or spending positive time with me when I'm doing the right thing. So why should I bother doing the right thing? And conversely, too much reward can embitter a child and discourage a child from being obedient. If we reward our child for everything, a child expects a reward for closing a door. Everything has to equal our reward. And a child will be discouraged from being obedient because they will be saying, I won't bother obeying you unless the price is right. Every time you give me a command, it's the beginning of the negotiations. How much will you pay, Dad, if I do this for you? And so if you give too much reward, you can actually embitter your child towards yourself as well and discourage them from being obedient. So we've seen that you can embitter a child by asking too little of them, too much of them, by giving too little reward or too much reward. Is there another way that we can embitter our child? Well, it's also by the way that we punish them when they're disobedient. If we give too little punishment, the child can be discouraged from obeying as well. If you don't punish a child when they do the wrong thing, they will say, why bother obeying? Dad is a pushover. I don't have to worry about being obedient. There are no consequences, negative consequences, when I do the wrong thing. But conversely as well, we can embitter a child by too much punishment. And this is the thing that we think of most easily when we hear this command of do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged, and particularly thinking of fathers who can often have a heavier hand than a mother does. If we are too heavy, too harsh with our punishments towards our children, then they can be embittered towards us and discouraged from obeying. Severe punishment may get you what you want from a child for a time, but you can break their spirit. And eventually, they will be thinking in their minds, I'm not going to obey Dad soon. I'm going to leave home and get out of this place as quickly as I possibly can and never look back. I may obey while I'm under this roof, but there will come a time where I will never obey again and I will never have a relationship with that man who has hurt me so badly. And that is a way, of course, that we can embitter a child and they will become discouraged from being obedient in the home, but also probably for the rest of your life. And so, children, I want to address you this morning as well. And I want to point out at this point where we talk about heavy punishments. If you think a parent is scary and you hate them and you do not love them and feel you can't talk to anyone about it, then I encourage you to talk to a teacher at school. Call a helpline, which we do have available in our, in our country, which is a wonderful benefit. Or talk to one of the elders at your church. That is Ray, Danny... Josh, myself, 
or if you feel uncomfortable coming to one of us about your parents and the way that they're treating you, then talk to one of the, uh, the wives of the elders at this church as well. That's Ali, that's Jill, that's Tarlin, and Leslie at the back. We have all received child protection training. We have some idea of what we should do in very difficult situations and who we can talk to so that you are safe. Now, I know some, I've taken uh, a bit of a presumption this morning by t talking to the children directly in this church in this way. I think if you're, a, if you're a, a faithful parent who tries not to embitter your child, who tries to keep them from being discouraged, then you'll be quite okay with me addressing your children in this way. If you're a parent who has been embittering your children and making them feel that they hate you rather than love you, then hopefully in due course you will love that I'm drawing your sin into the light by addressing your children and that your children will actually get help for themselves but also help for you so that you're obedient to the command that is given to you in this text from Colossians chapter 3. Too often, I've seen it again and again, too often churches haven't addressed child abuse that's going on within their church. And children haven't felt safe within the home and they haven't felt safe within their Christian church as well to see what is going on with them addressed. And I want to make sure that Dremoyne Baptist Church doesn't just protect adults here, but we protect the children who have been brought into our midst as well. We love having children at this church. I have a line that I love. It's that if there's no crying, the church is dying. I love that children are a part of our church. I love to hear them making noise in our church building as well. Uh, hopefully it's not excessive noise, but that there's little noises going on that shows us that children are amongst us. We love having you here, and I want to make sure that we are here to protect you and help you if you need it. Always know that, uh, that you can come to us if you need that help. So, children, you're to obey your parents. Fathers, mothers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. What do you do if you don't live up to this? If you are conscious this morning that you haven't been obeying your parents or you're conscious that you have been embittering your child and leading them to discouragement, what are you to do? Well, children, say sorry to your parents when you don't obey them. Say sorry. And parents... This is a tough one. You need to learn to say sorry to your children. It requires a lot of humility, but sometimes you have to come to your child and say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have gotten as angry as I did. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have punished you in that way. I'm sorry. I held you to a standard that was beyond you. Please forgive me. It's hard to do. I've been there. I've done it. But it's something you need to do. When we sin against one another, what are we supposed to do? We're meant to go to them and ask for forgiveness, confess our sin and ask for forgiveness. And we're, of course, also meant to come to God. When you find that you've sinned against someone else, you've got to recognise that you've also sinned against God. This is a direct command from God. And so, children, when you've disobeyed your parents and you say, sorry, Dad, you should also be saying, sorry, Heavenly Father, too, because you've sinned against God. And it's the same with us Parents, when we've sinned against our child and we've said to them, sorry, please forgive me, we also need to come to God and ask for his forgiveness because we've broken his command of embittering our child by being either too harsh, too light, asking too much or too little or rewarding too much or too little as well. Which then leads us, as we're conscious of the Heavenly Father then, to the greatest motivation for obeying these commands. Why should we obey these commands? Well, of course, 
The book has given us much reason. As we look at Colossians together, we've seen many statements of fact about who the Lord Jesus is and how we should obey him as he is God himself. And so when he says, when he says children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord, and fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged, then of course we should be obedient because he is God. But we also need to recognise that these commands that are given to us, if we keep them, it actually displays a wonderful picture of the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, the good news of Jesus Christ can be summed up in many different ways, but one way is that it's God graciously taking sinners and adopting them into his family and calling them his children. And we saw a hint of that back in Colossians chapter 1 many months ago when we looked at it together. Colossians chapter 1, turn back a page or two to verse 12 where the Apostle Paul has uh, been speaking to the church in Colossae and how they are to live and what he's praying for them. And he says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. A wonderful statement of the gospel message there. And it's interesting how he addresses God. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. This is the gospel that God takes us and adopts us into his family. And it's there throughout scripture. And one of the best illustrations of it is actually given to us in Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16. Turn with me there now. Chapter 16 of Ezekiel. If you've got a black church Bible, that's page 831. We're actually going to read a fair chunk from it because it's just such a powerful illustration. I love the prophet Ezekiel. He has so many good illustrations uh, sometime I'm going to have to start preaching through uh, them. Maybe we can jump from chapter to chapter uh, and look at the different illustrations that are given in the prophet Ezekiel. Some of them are a bit obscene even, uh, but that's the point, is to try and wake us up to our sinfulness. Uh, but chapter 16 of Ezekiel has one of the most powerful illustrations of the gospel and what it meant that God adopted the family of Israel and, of course, us today into his family. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, reading from verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field. From the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew up and developed and became the most beautiful of jewels. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew, you who were naked and bare. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress 
and put leather sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewellery. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was fine flour, honey, and olive oil. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. But you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favours on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his. You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places where you carried on your prostitution. Such things should not happen, nor should they ever occur. You also took the fine jewellery I gave you, the jewellery made of my gold and silver, and you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. And you took your embroidered clothes to put on them, and you offered my oil and incense before them. Also the food I provided for you, the fine flour, olive oil and honey I gave you to eat, you offered as fragrant incense before them. That is what happened, declares the sovereign Lord. And you took your sons and daughters whom you bore to me and sacrificed them as food to the idols. Was your prostitution not enough? You slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to the idols. In all your detestable practices and your prostitution, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, kicking about in your blood. If you want to read the further warnings to the people of Israel so many years ago, you can this afternoon. I encourage you to read through the rest of the chapter. But there's a warning for us that we cannot neglect to remember as we come before God this morning and as we hear his commands to obey our parents and to parents to not embitter your children. We need to remember what we once were, which is what the Israelites forgot. They forgot what they once were, that God had adopted them into his family. We were once pagan children roaming on filthy streets, starving, living in sin and misery. Think of what you were before you became a Christian and how you hated the sin that was a part of you and how helpless you felt. That is you kicking about in your blood, despised by everyone. And then what happened? What happened? What are you now? What has happened to you? Well, God has saved you through the blood of Christ. Through the precious blood of the Lamb, you have been washed He adopted you into his family, not because of anything you had done, but because of his love. He adopted you into his family. He washed you. He poured ointment on your wounds as you felt so terrible about your sin. He clothed you in rich garments of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he provides for your needs day by day continuously. He smiles on you as a child. He speaks to you through his word graciously. He even sings to you. There are songs in the Bible to his people about the way that he loves you and cares for you. Yes, as a father, he gives us little trials. 
to test us and to strengthen us, like a father letting go of the bike seat as the child learns to pedal the bike on its own. He lets it go so the child is strong. He gives us little trials along the way, but never to the point that we become embittered and discouraged towards him and that we don't want to obey him. And he rewards and he punishes us. He gives us great rewards when we do right and he still disciplines us because he loves us and he wants us to grow and become more and more perfect as he is perfect. It's so wonderful to have a heavenly father who never does wrong to us. He never asks too little of us. He never asks too much of us. He never rewards too little. He never rewards too much. He never punishes too little. He never punishes too much. He's always perfect in his relations to us. We as parents, we must walk the difficult road of trying to be in the middle, not too much or too little of either. Why do we walk in the middle road? Because the Lord himself walks in the middle road and does absolutely right to us at all times as his children. And so if we remember this, if we remember what we once were, that we were filthy, kicking about in our blood, despised by everyone, but what we are now we remember as well, that we have been loved by God, adopted by God, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he has done. Then what will happen Well, we will be led to trust and obey him as our heavenly father. Not to gain a place in God's family, but because we are in his family. This goes against all the teachings of works righteousness. Other religions teach you, you must do this, this and this, and then God will let you into his family. No, that is not the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture is because you're already in God's family through faith in Jesus Christ, do this, this, and this. Think of your earthly families. They are a wonderful picture of the gospel. Why do you obey, Dad? To be a part of the family or because you are already in the family? It's because you're already in the family. And that is the picture of the gospel that we have given to us by God. Your family really isn't about you and your personal happiness, just as your marriage isn't really about you and your personal happiness, as we heard last week. It's about displaying the gospel message to the world so that when they hear about the Heavenly Father, they go, yes, I want that too, because I know what it is to have a Father who loves me and cares for me and looks after me. And so this is the great motivation for fathers, for mothers in this room, and for children to obey your parents. Do you realise that you can turn people off the gospel message by not obeying your parents and by parents embittering your children? And particularly remember this, fathers, because your title father is associated with God as the Heavenly Father. If we fathers, if we are unfair, controlling or weak or unloving or cruel, won't kids struggle to understand who the Heavenly Father is and to love him? The way you treat your children, is it turning them off the idea of a Heavenly Father? Whereas if we are fair and strong, and gracious, and merciful, and loving, 
Won't our kids be attracted to the Heavenly Father? So let's not just speak the gospel to our children. Let's live the gospel in our homes and attract our children to our Heavenly Father by the way that we live with them. And I think this is the greatest motivation that I can give you this morning. I can quote all kinds of statistics to you this morning. And that's what I've heard. I listened to a bunch of sermons on this uh, text this week. And a lot of them are about how many children are incarcerated as a result of their parents never giving them any kind of punishment. How many children are entitled and doing daft things with too much money because their their parents gave them too much. I can quote all those kinds of statistics to you. And yes, it's very helpful to understand that if you don't discipline your child, that the police force will eventually discipline them for you. And that'll be a great disappointment to you. And yes, that's something that does encourage us to discipline our children. But ultimately, the reason we as Christians should want to follow the commands of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21 is because it displays the gospel. And we want our children to love the Heavenly Father and understand what it means to be adopted into God's family. Now, if you're outside of God's family this morning and you're here amongst us, I love that you're here with us. But I want you to understand your vileness your hopelessness, if you do not have the Heavenly Father. Now, I understand some of you may be totally turned off God when you hear that he is a Heavenly Father. If you've had a father who was harsh and unloving, or maybe you've watched too many of those TV shows that seem to come out of Hollywood that make out that fathers are bumbling idiots and are not worthy of your respect. And so when you hear of Heavenly Father, you don't know what to do with that. You don't know how to be attracted to one who is called Father. Well, recognise that the earthly fatherhood that is given to us, even at its best, think of the best possible Father, Father who's always fair and just, but also loving and merciful, that's a pale shadow of the true fatherhood. The true fatherhood is not here on earth. It's up in heaven, our Father in heaven. And it's sad when the shadow is much more darker than it should be. But understand that if you continue in your ways outside God's family, if you do not recognise God as your heavenly Father, then you are wretched, blind and pitiful. You're kicking about in your blood. You're despised by the world eventually and you're despised by God if you continue to reject him. So I encourage you this morning, if that is you, come to God now and ask him to adopt you into his family. Confess that you need a heavenly father, that you need a father who will be kind and gracious and merciful to you, but also just and fair giving you rewards, giving you punishments as you need them. You need that Heavenly Father. Come to him and trust him now. Ask him to accept you for all your faults, that they are washed in the blood of the Lamb and wiped away. Ask him to clothe you and wash you and accept you into his family so that you can enjoy the great privilege of having a Heavenly Father who loves you and cares for you and grants you eternal life and one day will take you to his heavenly home where you can rejoice with him for all of eternity. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him now.
Heavenly Father, we do indeed praise you as our loving Heavenly Father. You saw us in our sin and our misery, and you adopted us. You washed us and you clothed us. You fed us and cared for us. We ask that you would forgive us for not remembering what we once were and what we are now, and so not obeying you out of a love for you. Lord, we pray that you would continue to remind us of the fact that you are our Father. We pray that we would love to pray the Lord's Prayer and be reminded of those first words, our Father, and the great privilege that is attached to them, and so that we would come before you and be obedient all our lives. But Lord, we pray for anyone here this morning who does not know your fatherly love, who may even be turned off yourself by the way that their earthly father treated them. Lord, we pray that they would know that that is not true fatherhood, that they would know that you are the true father and that you're a loving father, that you're a merciful father, that you're a just and fair and kind father. And so, Lord, we pray that they would call upon you now to adopt them into your family. And, Lord, we ask that you would help us, children and parents who are here this morning, to display the gospel. Lord, we pray that we would want to be good parents and good children because we want to show the world what it means to have a heavenly father adopt us into, our, into his family. And so we want to make sure that we do not embitter our children so they become discouraged. And Lord, we pray that this would help people to understand that we should never come before you and be discouraged because you never embitter your children. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.